unfolds his purposes. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5. This is a prophecy of Jesus, the perfect example of obedience to the Father's plan. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. That's a profound passage. I think, I think there's serious uh, works of service and things that are going to be highlighted. I just feel to say this for us today, to all of us in the room, that there are works of service coming for us that we've not known things we've not pondered, not known, things, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, things that haven't entered my heart yet, what God has prepared for those who love him. There's things God has prepared for us in this region that are about to come to light. I feel like this morning is kind of that, like, yeah, the bigger picture, but how does it hit home? How does it hit right here in the here and now? How does this whole thing matter for us? It matters. Our obedience matters. God, his purposes stand firm throughout all generations. He's prepared works beforehand that we would walk in them, that his purposes could unfold even in this region. And my obedience matters for that purpose to unfold, right? So our cooperation, our yes to God, yes, it's all of grace. And all of his grace works in my yes. <laughs> I'm just going to say yes, God. Uh, it worked that way for Jesus. Jesus said yes. He says, the Father opened my ear to hear his purpose, and I wasn't disobedient, and I didn't turn back. That's amazing. I feel that this morning. He has things for us to do. He has a lot for us to do. And the waiting for those things that haven't entered our heart yet is all about preparing our heart to say yes when we do hear it, when we do see what needs to be done. You know, the waiting is tough, but it's all about readying my heart to say yes on this level. Isaiah 50, verse 5, that level of obedience where, oh, God, why don't you show me what's next? Have you ever been frustrated because God's not showing you what's next? I am all the time. And he always reminds me of this, that if I were to show you prematurely, you wouldn't even walk in obedience. You would turn back because your heart wouldn't be ready to do what I want you to do. So I'm waiting you out, son, and getting your heart ready to say yes, and I'll show you in due season because I'm a good father. <laughs> and I'll show you what's next when you're ready to step and keep in step with my spirit and walk with me and cooperate with the unfolding of those purposes. I just wanted to share that. I, I feel that so strong for all of us. I feel like so many of us have just been waiting here and abroad, but so many believers waiting for years, even decades for you know, what's next? Where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it's like, you know, what's in the future? What, what's the future dynamic God has for me, my family, my ministry, my business, whatever it may be, our church? And all of a sudden, the future is now present tense, and it's here, and it's now, and hearts have been prepared for years and decades to step into what God's about to do in our nation, in our, in our cities and regions. It's going to be amazing. Sobering, but amazing. Amazing. Amen. Well, I'm going to try to continue here this week with some teaching. Um, we've been talking just about just different facets. This isn't at all exhaustive on a religious spirit, but things that we kind of felt like maybe could be highlighted for us in this region that are very real and practical for us, you know, to consider and talk to God about. Um, 
I love what uh, Wesley was just singing in terms of God readying the soil. He's so doing that. I've been so stuck in those parables about seed and soil. And this has everything to do with that. God getting the soil of my heart, of our hearts ready, right? And, and some of the ways he does that, it's varied, but biblically he, he plucks up things that don't belong in my garden to get soil ready, right? He uproots and he trims my tree. <laughs> he prunes my life, John 15. And Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser, the divine one who knows humanity. He knows all flesh. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he's the one dressing the vine in this age, the church, the tree that he's growing in the earth that will become larger than all the trees in the garden is the church of Jesus Christ. And the father is dressing that vine. He's dealing with it. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit, so that it grows uh, and increases and advances and takes over the garden and takes over the field, which is the world, and becomes visible and noticeable to all. And it says the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. It's amazing. But that God is pruning. He's uprooting. He's breaking up fallow ground and getting us ready so that this gospel, this plan of God, this kingdom can take deep root in our lives globally and express and manifest his kingdom that's coming. <laughs> that's serious business. That, that's why my obedience matters so much. Because if I, if I have stubbornness or any vestige of a religious spirit of unbelief or disobedience and I just, I just say no to things and just kind of name it, claim it, and not really say yes on a heart level and bend to it, right? Have you, have you ever done that? Probably because you're human. I have millions of times said, well, Lord, wh where's the disconnect here? And he says, well, it's not with me. It's not with my purpose. It must, must be on your end, son. <laughs> and he talks to us like that, happy, joyful, loving, tender, patient, thankfully. And he says, it must be a little breakdown on your end, Joseph, because, you know, I'm, I'm faultless. I, I, I got this thing down. And you're getting there, but keep on coming. And my obedience matters to it all. And when there's void in my life, sometimes it could be disobedience, lack. If there's void of what he's promised, we're always in process. But if I'm going years and decades without some of the things that he has promised me on a heart level, it's a good reason for me, take it personal, to step back and say, hmm, am I cooperating with you? Am I walking by faith and not by sight? Is there any stubbornness in my heart? Is there a proud or haughty spirit in me at all that would actually be foolish enough to say no to God? <laughs> or, or to meet it out and measure it out like, I'll take half of, I'll do half of that, but the other half I'm not real interested in because that's going to cost me, and that's going to require major life change in me. So these are good questions to ask. I'm asking them more and more in this, in this time we live in. It's a good time to ask these questions. So God is breaking up follow ground. He's kind of wanting to take anything out of my garden that's in the way of his kingdom. He'll remove every obstacle 
right? Every stumbling stone, anything that's offensive to his kingdom, he's going to get it out of me because he's fathering me, because he loves me and wants to bring me to maturity. So some of these things, just some of the characteristics of a religious spirit, we've talked about it in past weeks. We're going to dig a little deeper today, and I'll be the first one to tell you it's I'm really uncomfortable talking about this stuff. And I love to be transparent before I preach because I find greater grace to preach when I'm really real. I don't want to try to plow through this because the, it, it, the, it'll be unprofitable to us if I just kind of go through this and wonder how everyone thinks or feels about this. I want to be obedient. I'm not pointing a finger today. This is very uncomfortable for me to kind of talk about some of these things, just being real. Yeah, uh, but, but at the same time, being real, I will. I'm going to be obedient. But I'm not here to point fingers and uh, get everyone um, uncertain about their walk with God. That's not my heart or his heart. So in some of these questions, if you feel challenged or convicted, because we're in the new covenant and not the old, don't stone me. <laughs> Love me, right? Hear the Lord. If, if it's the Lord, if, because again, I've said this before, I'm either up here making noise or I'm serving God and maybe he has something to say to us. So I want to hear this. But just questions. So I want to continue. I, I was going to move on this week to John 15, but I feel to just stick right in Luke 15 on this older son because I've been, just been pondering these other stories in the scripture of brothers. From Cain and Abel, to Jacob and Esau, to Joseph and Reuben. And the Holy Spirit's just been just talking to me about this and looking at these stories of brothers. And then Jesus teaching in Luke 15, almost just as a reference point to kind of look at this thing. You know, through the lens of scripture, back through time. And to continue, Luke 15, well, before I go there, again, uh, God uprooting things in our hearts. Matthew 15, 13, Jesus said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be uprooted. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who casts seed upon the, th the soil. And he says, the soil produces crops by itself. Thus, the importance of allowing God just to get the soil of my heart ready because Jesus taught that the soil produces the crop that the seeds meant to bring forth. And so the soil is of utmost importance. And another promise of Jesus through Jeremiah the prophet, which really is a picture of Jesus. When Jesus uproots something from my life or starts to talk to me about something that he wants to uproot from my heart, it's not to leave me void. Like, I'm going to uproot it and leave you. The promise is that if he uproots something, he's going to replant. Right? There's hope in this. <laughs> the promise also in Jeremiah 1 is, if he tears something down in my life, a thought system, a belief system, 
a pattern of living that's not best for me or his purposes, if he tears something down in my life, it says he's going to rebuild. He's going to put something back in that place. So there's real promise. If, if God is dealing with your heart in this season and in the weeks and months to come, just let him. He has great and precious promises for us. And he wants to make room for them. So I want to talk a little bit this week about some of the primary vices of the heart that are essentially a religious spirit. And the apostles were vigorous with addressing these things of the heart in the midst of the church because we are not to be of them. And we are not to have any of these seeds growing in our hearts and in our life together. And so they were, they were ruthless, Colossians, Ephesians, the epistle of James, in pointing out these things that can creep in to the church and get in the way and grow, right? Even, even unnoticed to many or all, and just even at times unnoticed to us, but it's growing and it's there on a heart level. And the apostles said, do business with this over and over and over. And so some of these things, and we're going to go into Luke 15 from here. We're getting there slowly but surely. If you see James chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it's the same dynamic that the apostles are speaking to and wanting to be sure that these things aren't growing in the soil of the heart of the church. And these are, these are narrowed down to jealousy, envy, greed, and covetousness. And Paul says all these things, he says you add them all up, and he says they all amount to idolatry, to self-seeking. It's pretty serious. There's some major passages in the teaching of the apostles about these things even on the smallest level because, again, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And if I let a little bit of these toxins in my heart, I'm fooling myself to think I can manage those toxins. He says, they'll manage you. Don't sell yourself on these things. And, Joseph, if you've got any of these in you, right, sanctify your heart before me. Let the water of my word wash you clean from these contaminating dynamics. So Luke 15, we're going to return there. I want to read one passage. We touched on it a couple of weeks back. Let's smile. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your word. Luke chapter 15, verse 31. This is a profound passage, and it's true for every one of us. And the reason we're kind of looking at these dynamics today in the soil of our hearts is because these very things are what hinder us from Luke 15, verse 31. And we're going to look at the teaching of James especially about this. These very things are what get in the way of me coming into my own and accessing my portion in God rather than staying far off 
and watching everyone else access their portion in God and getting frustrated, jealous, envious, bitterness, covetousness, lusting after what is another man's or another woman's and saying, well, where is mine? I want some. What about me? That's the older brother dynamic. It's a religious spirit. It's, well, I don't really want to pay the price or come into the type of faith that's necessary for me to walk fully in my inheritance. And I'd rather just have God serve it to me on a silver platter. And if he doesn't, I'm going to ask a lot of questions, right? The older brother was accusing God, his father, and wondering, where, where is his? Where is mine? Because he had stuff in his heart that was hindering him all along. The father said so. All along, he had access to all that God purposed for him. And he was found empty and alone in his, his experience. We talked a little bit about this two weeks ago. He was found empty and alone in his, his experience because greed, covetousness, jealousy, envy. I felt this this morning. The Lord say, that's false hunger. And you'll never eat if you're greedy, lustful, covetousness, envious, jealous. He says, it'll get you nothing in your mouth or in your stomach. And if it can feel like a craving for God, but at the, at the root of it, there's, there's a motivating factor of, I got to get mine for me. I got I to get some, where's mine? Bring me mine. What about my inheritance? So those things are a false form of hunger, thus the reason they never satisfy, right? They never satisfy. I'll be left with an empty cup if any of these things are motivating me even to seek what God has for me. And that's where there's so much breakdown and trickery of the enemy in all of this is we can seek the things of God and, and what he has for us from a wrong foundation, from a wrong root system. And it's all self-seeking, self-promotion. It's all vanity, the scripture says. It's all about me and mine, right? Rather than him and his, ultimately. And seeing myself as a steward and a manager of something, not just a self-indulging dynamic, that it's, it's about me and my own enjoyment in this age and life. And I'm just going to go after it for however much I can get for it. It's about sonship and stewardship. So verse 31, Luke 15. The father said to the older son, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours profound that he has an inheritance we have inheritance first corinthians chapter 3 this is so serious because with all due respect we are so guilty of this in the american church first corinthians chapter 3 is massive for the american church that dynamic where we boast in men we boast in ministries. We boast in gifts. We boast in callings. We exploit people and what they're doing for God rather than exploiting the God who's entrusted such grace 
to the man or the woman or the ministry, and we promote his name, not our names. This stuff's so rampant in our culture, in our church culture in America. And without even knowing it at times, it's, it, again, these things creep in unnoticed, the apostles said. <laughs> this stuff can just creep in unnoticed, start to grow, and all of a sudden we're saying, oh, I, I want what he's got. I want that. And Paul says, don't boast in men, don't boast in women, don't boast in ministries, because everything they have is already yours in Christ. Right? Don't, don't let divisions come to you as to who you listen to as a teacher. Who do you follow? Where do you go to church? This is part of the breakdown in our region. Right? We, at, at large, there's breakdown because we're segregating ourselves and boasting in what we do or how we do it and that it's this way or no way. And, well, no, every joint supplies kind of, but not really. And so let's just... Stay separated as ligaments and joints as one body. Let's just stay broken up and do what we do best and, you know, maybe cast some judgment here and put up a wall there. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, don't do that. He says, all things are yours. All that is mine is yours. Don't boast in men. Don't covet. Don't lust after something you see in another. Learn to walk in right relationship with your father and access your portion and find satisfaction because you're doing it out of relationship and obedience and cooperation with him, which is ultimately what satisfies our soul anyway, if we're honest. It's not stuff, right? It's not more anointing, more ministry, more... Uh, business or ministry opportunities or life opportunities it's the satisfying dynamic of belonging to him which was the great void in this younger son thus the reason he lived he was living at a distance thus the reason he didn't access what was his thus the reason he judged and criticized and disowned his brother when his brother returned home to get what belonged to his as a free gift of grace and couldn't be earned or unearned. It couldn't be earned by his obedience. It couldn't be unearned by his disobedience because it's a free gift of grace. It's an entrustment. And he came home and got it. And that older brother was envious, jealous, and murderous in his heart. And he says, he says this brother of yours, right, he, he disowned him. He says, that's not my brother. It's like Cain and Abel. He disowned him. And you look at Cain. You look at some of these other older brothers. And no doubt about it, Jesus would have us to do so. To really understand the heart of the matter in this older brother so that we could truly separate ourselves from it and allow the Lord to plow up some of that fallow ground. All that is mine is yours. We'll turn to uh, James chapter 4. Why am I talking about these things? Well, uh, I want to hear it. And if there's any of this in me in this hour, I'm saying, Lord sanctify my soul thoroughly 
1 Thessalonians 5.23, sanctify my soul, my spirit, soul, and body, that I would be blameless in the day of Christ. And taking God serious, I can think of so many times I've walked in this, these things I'm talking to you about. Unintentionally, at times unknowingly, and the Lord had to bring light to me as a father to father me out of that and into sonship where I no longer covet what another man or woman has, where I'm no longer greedily lusting after something and calling it hunger and desire for God, but where my heart really was purified in those seasons to say, oh, you have something for me, and through relationship and cooperation with you, I can access it, find true satisfaction in you, and be a free man. And he says yes to you every time you're in a season like that. His grace will do it. He'll bring it to pass. James chapter 4. I'm going to go uh, amplified on us here. Verses 1 to 4. He says, what leads, again, I keep giving disclaimers, I should just stop. <laughs> We're going to read this. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What leads to strife, discord, and feuds? And, and how do conflicts, quarrelings, and fightings originate among you? Now, he's kind of asking a question. He's being a wise guy with us, right? James knows the answer. He says, Well, let me ask the church a question here. What causes all this feud? among you, even in your hearts, if it's not realized publicly. He says, the things, the stirrings of the heart, the thoughts and intents of your heart towards one another. He says, what causes all this? He's tricking them. You ready? He says, let me tell you. Verse 2, he says, you are jealous and you covet what others have. And your desires go unfulfilled. Again, isn't that the most miserable experience if you've ever had it because I have you go unfulfilled if the root of my seeking is from this place of lustfulness or covetousness or greed right so you become murderers wow that's pretty striking to hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned he says you burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification and the happiness that you seek. So you fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. That's an amazing passage. You do not have because you do not ask. And when I read that piece of the scripture, that, that we can ask and not have, at the core of that passage is relationship with God. He says, essentially... He's pointing out a religious dynamic among the church and saying, you don't have what you're seeking for because you're not in right relationship with God and asking him for it. And instead, you're doing 1 Corinthians 3 and you're looking at what everyone else has and wanting some. And because you feel in lack, right, you're pointing the finger, accusing, becoming jealous and envious. That's what he says here. That's serious. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask, verse 3, God for these things. 
yet you fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose, selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it on yourself. And so James is pointing out the heart of the matter that if we wish to really find our future in God and go onward with the Lord and access all that we're meant to access as individuals, and yes, corporately, these things are the greatest hindrances of the heart pointed out by uh, multiple apostles in the scriptures. These things hinder and prohibit us from all that God has for us and can cause us to live with lack, with just a piece of what he has for me. God says, you take me up on this and respond in the way that my grace calls you to respond, son. If you, if you be a man about this, Joseph, and, and you drink this cup, right? Jesus drank the whole cup of obedience. He said, if you can drink this, if you, can, if you have an ear to hear this kind of stuff, Joseph, that's so natural to mankind, even among my people, thus the reason for sanctification, right? He says, if you have an ear to hear some of this, he says, I'll make your heart, I'll position your heart for my purposes. I'll position your heart from the inside out. I'll give you a good and noble heart, Joseph. You can't do it, but I can. Right? And the parable of the sower is, if I want to see a harvest in my life, I need a good and noble heart that can receive the word. James says the same thing, to receive the implanted word if I want harvest. I need soil that's fertile, and I need a heart that's obedient and willing to obey what I hear. That's Jesus' teaching in Matthew 13, and that's James' teaching in chapter 1 and 4. Uh, verse 4, James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, this is very striking, <laughs> he says, Joseph, if you got some of this going on and you're not doing anything about it, he says, you're like an unfaithful wife. <laughs> In verse 4, he says, you're having a love affair with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being at enmity with God? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. He's writing this to me. He's writing this to the church. He's saying verses 1 to 4 is the essence of the spirit of this age. Fallen man, natural men, mere men. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says to go back there. His first words were, hey, I came to you and I gave you lots of milk, but I wanted to come to you with lots of steak. <laughs> he says, I came to you with liquids. I wanted to come to you with solid food, but you wouldn't have been ready to hear it because you're still drinking milk. And then he tells us what it meant for the church of Corinth, which was a very spiritually gifted church. He says, you're still jealous, envious of one another, boasting in men, and there's divisions among you. And you could imagine maybe them saying, well, we give each other a high five on Sunday. <laughs> we go over to the house for dinner. We eat the muffins up back and drink the 
the Keurig, the coffee. We high-five. We hug each other. We smile. He says, yes, you do. He says, but there's still some other stuff going on underneath the smile, the muffins, the coffee. And I'm, not, I'm not prophesying this to us. I'm just saying, breaking this down, main and plain, simple, that this happens. He says, but there's other stuff going on there. And he says, he calls it fleshly. He says, you're acting like mere men, meaning men of this world, people of this age who aren't born again. They're still in Adam, not in Christ. He says, they're in Adam. They are people of flesh, and you are tolerating fleshly things. And he says, it's, it's friendship with the world, or really, the spirit of this world. Verse 6. Skipping down James chapter 4, verse 6. Here's some promises. (laughs) Here's some promises for us. Verse 6. But he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet these evil tendencies in all others fully. Romans chapter 6, right? And we all know this in different places of our own lives. If sin has ever abounded in your life as a believer, you know, as a free man or a woman today, you know grace abounds all the more. So James lays out kind of a hard word here. And he says, but, but remember, <laughs> his grace is sufficient. And he gives more and more grace. He gives greater grace than your stuff, than your sin. Where sin abounds... Does grace abound still more? That's the same thing he's saying here. James chapter 4, verse 6. The power of the Holy Spirit can sanctify my soul and empower my heart in obedience to God and love for Jesus and love for the church and love for you. He can perfect me in love for you. He can perfect you in love for me. That's what this is all about. It's not about God, the nitpicky God who's showing us everything that might be wrong with us. It's about God bringing us to mature love, to fulfill the first commandment and the second, which is like it, to love God with all the heart and to love one another. John 15, to love one another as he has loved us. Right? The law said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, a new commandment I bring to you. And I've always said, what does that mean, new? It's new because he doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. In John 15, he says, here's the new commandment, love one another as much as I've loved you to the uttermost, that you would die for one another if it came to it, that kind of love, undying love. Verse 8, there's a promise of grace. Verse 8, he says, don't run from God. Right? Whenever God deals with our hearts, it's easy to... Take some steps away, it might hurt, feel vulnerable, uncomfortable, challenging. (laughs) But he says in verse 8, don't step away, don't run from me, right, the older son. He says, come close to God in verse 8, and he will come close to you. Amazing. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He says, recognize, if you've got some of this going on, recognize it as sin. He says, 
Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Draw near to him. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. I love what the Amplified says. And he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your life significant. And isn't that what we're after in the first place if we got some of this going on? It's so mixed for the believer, these things. Because there, there's, there's sincerity in our hearts. We want the will of God. We want what he has for us. We want to be significant before God. And he says, Here, here's the way. He says, it's not competing, comparing, vying, trying to attain a status in the eyes of men. He says, receive the status you have in my eyes. That, that's a free gift. Stop laboring for what you have already. To go back to what Stu had brought forth earlier. Stop competing for a race, in a race, right? Don't compete with one another in the race. <laughs> Don't fight as to who will get across that finish line first or obtain the prize, right? Don't elbow each other along the way. Love one another. Cheer one another on. One of the most painful lessons I have learned in life and perhaps will learn on deeper levels, right? If he's, if he's taking us from glory to glory, Faith to faith is, I remember one of the primary ways, I shared some of this two weeks ago, that God dealt with my heart to free it up. That older brother dynamic that I found myself in for many years was that the Lord humbled me to celebrate the success and blessing of others. And as long as it stung me, to see you blessed and you increased in the spirit, as long as that cut me and felt like a knife in my soul, my heart wasn't whole yet. My conscience wasn't clear. The motives and intents, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, were being exposed and revealed. Ouch, that hurts. And the, the real reason, ouch, it hurts, Joseph, is a few things here. One is you don't believe that you have a portion. And you're not walking in it. And number two is you're looking at your brother's portion and coveting it. And you're wanting some of it. And the whole time the father was saying, I've got a portion. I've got an inheritance for you, Joseph. And you'll never get it beholding what your brother has. Come to me. Draw near. Humble yourself. Behold me and what I have for you. Let me tell you who you are and what I have for you. Let me... You know, hear my invitation as a father calling you into what's yours already because all that is mine is yours. Don't boast in your brother. Don't covet what your sister has, etc. And when we can celebrate the blessing or accomplishments and successes of our brother or sister, we are true sons in the house. We have a free heart and we can really matter in the fullest sense of mattering in the house of God when we can do that. So James says three things. He says, submit, draw near, and humble yourself. Submit to God. Draw near to Him, not from Him. 
and humble yourself. Be honest. Let him, let him touch your heart. And I want to I wanna just share this thought. I, I felt the Lord putting this in my own heart even this morning as I was putting some of this together. Just looking at 1 Corinthians 3 and, you know, I'm not, I've said this before, I'm not exempt. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, talk to me about these things that are so natural to fallen man and that creep into the church that we really don't like to talk about, even if we got a little bit of it. We'd rather just manage it secretly and privately. But that's not freedom, and it's not love, right? And it's a ploy of Satan <laughs> to the uttermost that he has led many of us at times in life, I know he has me, to manage his seeds in my heart. Like if, if Satan has planted something in my heart and it's grown even a little bit and there's a few little petals on it, I'm like, I'll, I'll trim those petals. I don't need to uproot this. No biggie. And Satan would love me to believe that because if I don't uproot that thing, the petals are coming back times two if I pluck them off. It's going to grow. <laughs> and it's, it's laborious and exhausting to manage rather than me say, yeah, I, I got some of this going on here and there. I see that, Lord. What do you want me to do with it? And he may say, well, I want you to go to your brother with it. Or he may not. He may say, I want you to talk to me about that. Set yourself apart. You know, in your mornings with me, I want you talking to me about this. I want you in my word about that thing so that the water of the word can wash it out of your soul. He, you know, he may say, the way I want you to deal with it, he, he may say this, he may say, well, Joseph, you've let that thing grow for five years. Now it's, it's not just a seed or three petals. It's a small tree in your heart, and it's a problem, and here's where it's affecting your whole life in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, all things are uncovered and laid bare. The word of God judges the thoughts and intents of my heart. He may say, Joseph, look, look at this. It's a tree. Here's where it's affecting your whole life. Now, you dealing with this in private ain't going to do it, son. I need you to go to your brother, your sister. I need you to talk honestly about this to really strike this thing at the root and get it out of your heart. Because I've had both happen to me. I've had God deal with things, and, and I think the majority of our life, I don't think, it's obvious, it is mostly secret. It's just dealing with you day in, day out, right? But there are times and things where God says, you got to go to your brother or sister on this one. you got to go to your wife on this one. you got to go to your coworker or whoever it is and reconcile, set something right, get this thing out of your soul, no more managing the seeds of corruption, Joseph. Dig it up. Do just do vengeance on this thing. And I've had both happen. You know, I, I've shared openly, not to be long-winded, but just a few things. I've shared openly. Uh, it's been close to a year now, but God really preparing my heart for some reconciliation in a family relationship where, again, a little seed of bitterness or whatever got in there offense, and I let it grow. I let it go unnoticed, unchecked. 
and it grew into something that became a problem when I was around these people, right? And I knew it. And, and that happened for years. I let something really grow. And over the last six, seven months, very intentionally with counsel, I'm saying, I'm, I'm uprooting this thing. It's in the light, right? People know, I know, my wife knows. And the wisdom is, am I, am I going to go to those individuals? I don't know yet. We don't know yet among, amongst the counsel, right? But sometimes you need counsel. Sometimes you need help to really do diligence about these things the apostles said, don't let that creep into your life ever. Don't do it. Don't, don't go there, Joseph. And you have, and I still love you. Draw near to me. Humble yourself. Admit it. Call it sin. Right? That's number one. I've had to do both. Another one is uh, some years ago, I lied to a brother in the Lord. And the holy, the fear of the Lord just struck me. I was nauseous because he was not letting me loose for many reasons. The base of which is Colossians chapter 4, do not lie to one another <laughs> because he's commanded it, right? Because we're new creations and we're born of God's seed. And I'm not to be lying to you about anything. I'm to be speaking truth and love and honesty so that my heart can be open to grow in love with you in a real pure way, in an honest way. And I lied to this brother about something so silly. Just as an example. It was this silly. So this brother called me. This brother's not here. This brother doesn't even live in Maine anymore. We'll just call him this brother. So this brother called me and said, hey man, want to come over whatever night for some food? And rather than just say, uh, well, I'm not really feeling up to it. Can we do next week? Or, no, I have to do this. I made up a story to say no to my brother. Now, listen, it's funny because it's sincere because he's my brother and I love him and I don't want to say no to him, so I'll just make something up to say no to him. And the Holy Spirit struck me. I went 24 hours and I went to that brother. I said, brother, <laughs> like... The silliest thing in the world, no excuses, I lied to you. And he's like, what'd you lie to me about? I said, well, remember like 24 hours ago when you asked me to come have some chicken wings on the grill and, you know, drink some iced tea? He's like, yeah, I told you I couldn't come because of X. I was like, that's a lie. I just felt bad saying no because I wasn't feeling up to it. I'm really sorry. And he just, we just loved one another right there and then. It was never brought up again. No offense, nothing. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does in those little ways. And I'm using that as an example because if I let that grow, I'll lie again eventually. And it might be a little white lie like that. And then eventually lie because it's leaven. A little leaven, it, don't deceive ourselves, it grows. And eventually, this is what the Bible would indicate, that if I don't do diligence with these little things and I stop writing them off as little things, if I take them as the biggest things that the apostles pointed out on a heart level, and I take them as God takes them. Here's what it says, is that if you let that little thing grow, it's going to become a big thing. And in 20 years, if you keep doing this, you'll be telling bigger lies, and it's going to cause bigger problems. And then you're in bigger trouble with me and man. And I had to hear that. And it put fear of God in me like he sees everything. 
right? So I wanted to just share those two examples. But in this time, hey, maybe you're totally clear. Awesome. Maybe you're not. Awesome. He's fathering us. And he wants to give us solid food. That's what I feel the promise is. Because Paul came to Corinth addressing these issues. And he says, I want you eating solid food, but the stuff's in your heart. Even if it's on a little level. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, if you are talking to us about some of these dynamics of just religion and pretense, hypocrisy, if you're wanting that out of me, then I have an incredible promise awaiting me. And it's a big piece of steak. It's fresh manna. It's solid food where I get beyond drinking milk and I start eating something I've never eaten before. I start tasting something in God I've never tasted before because my my heart has room for it. My spiritual appetite is free and clear and there's room in my spirit to partake of a new meal, some new manna. And so be encouraged that if the Lord talks to you throughout some of these teachings, just, just be humble. Just say, oh, thank you, Lord, for showing me that. How do you want me to deal with this? You know, pray to him. Talk to him about it for a few weeks. He'll, he'll lead you. And he'll get it out of your heart. And then all of a sudden we have room for something more, which is what Paul wanted to bring to Corinth. Something more. Something more substantial. Right? I just want to leave us with that today. Yeah. Amen. I love you guys. Can you? Thank you.